Hey everyone, welcome to episode 101. My name is Eric Wright, I'm the host of your Disco Posse podcast. This is an exciting conversation with Cody Barbo. Cody's the founder of Trust and Will. Not only is he the founder of Trust and Will, but he will talk about incredible stories of the the, the woes and challenges of startups, and in fact, some incredible stories about how previous startups that he was a part of had some real challenging difficulties and the hard things that led to what brought Trust and Will to fruition. And this is really just an incredible set of lessons for startups and, and for founders and folks that are thinking about getting into their own business. Not only that, Cody is just wise beyond his years. And our first ever very cool uh, code. If you actually want to sign up for Trust and Will, you can go to trustandwill.com, use the code DiscoPosse, and you'll actually get a 10% discount. With that, let's get started. Hey, this is Cody Barbo, the co founder and CEO at Trust and Will, and you're listening to Disco Posse. Cody, why don't you get started? Let's introduce you. Uh, talk about trust and will, uh, but let's start with you. And, and, and how did you get to be founder and co-founder and CEO? Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of go out from there. Yeah. So uh, I have always been in Southern California for 30 years. I've never left. I grew, I grew up in Orange County. It's a terrible place to live. It's terrible weather. It's always cold here. And I uh, grew up in Orange County. Made, made my way down to San Diego in 2007 for school. Went to school at San Diego State University, Go Aztecs, where we had, uh, had a great time. And I, I really got involved as a student leader. And I think it's part of that background that kind of propelled me down this path of entrepreneurship. Uh, Trust and Will is my third startup. It's my second venture-backed company. So over the last eight-plus years, I've had the pleasure of hiring now over 50 people. Can I say if I can believe that myself? Wow. Uh, I've worked with some incredibly talented individuals across uh, engineering, marketing, sales, customer success. And it's taken a lot to get to where we're at. And I'm, I'm happy that we can dive deeper into some of the, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations of entrepreneurship, because there's a lot of fun stuff and there's a lot of not so fun stuff. And I've been through it and happy to share it. But truly blessed to be here uh, at 30 years old, happily married with a great company. And uh, I'm about to be a dad in like any day or any week. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, babies do uh, on the 31st. I'm not sure when this airs, but I will probably be a dad by the time it goes live. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, congratulations yeah. to you and your family on well, that one. That's, I tell you, yeah. no matter no matter how great we do in life and business and school, those are ones where you're like, that kind of transcends everything. It's it's kind of part of the health. It's funny that too, I even talk about like when, when people say like, oh, can I like take a couple of weeks off? I'm kind of tired or whatever. People like, they look at you like, what you like if you take a day off they look at you a little weird especially in startups right but then you say like oh man like i'm i'm really sick and they're like you take whatever time you need and it's funny so childbirth is this the, the other side of that where people are like you know oh yeah grad glad you got you know, you raised funding you hired a new ceo yeah. you did this and that you had a baby they're like shoving vc people out of the way to like give you a hug like I don't, <laughs> so it's that is the the rare treat that's a, a true celebration well, of life. Very you know, here's, here's, here's the num the numbers don't lie. You have about half the workforce here in the States. So I guess probably it extends to Canada, but half the workforce is millennials. And when you think of the, what I call the elder millennials, the 30 to 40 crowd, 90% of children born are to millennial parents now. So the stats match up. And over the course of the next 10 years, 75% of the workforce will be millennials. So you're going to have this huge influx of people that are working at companies that are having children and to be a little forward thinking, even as a startup an early stage startup, nonetheless, around how to think through paternity leave, maternity leave, childcare benefits, being flexible with leaving uh, early or coming, coming into work a little bit later because you're picking up or taking your kid to daycare. I think that it can create a culture of trust that is uh, rare to find in the startup world sometimes. So I'm really happy that, myself and my team, we can set the example for the organization that we want to build. Well, that, that brings a good point. Do you, do you think that because of the, this, there's a lot of startups that are obviously being founded by folks that are in this age range, right? What we call millennials, yep. whatever it's going to be. Yep. Do you think that there's going to be a, a stronger focus on 
on culture and uh, in that part of it in that founding group? Uh, or is it that, I guess, societally, we finally hit this point where we're like, hey, this is not cool. We're kind of creating a negative environment in, in most corporate environments. So do you see this as a next sort of, a, I'll say a resurgence or a surgence because there is no re. Uh, is this yeah. a, a new wave now where maybe you'll see more startups and more companies catching up with the fact that this workforce is going to require this. It's going to be the new table stakes. Yeah. As it should be, really. I, as it should be. I look at it through a couple of lenses. So first and foremost, I mean, I put, my, put myself in my shoes, right? Which is like, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father, but I still want to be a great leader. And part of that leadership trade is leading by example. So to be one of the first co-founders to go out and have a baby and take a paternity leave, I want to set, set the example for my other co-founders, uh, one of whom's got a baby on the way as well, as well as our team as they start to have families, that it's okay to take time off. Like it's our job as a team to pick up the slack or to pick up the work efforts when uh, he or she of the team does take off. And the other thing that's interesting, not just the, the demographic trends of millennials taking over the majority of the workforce, but as we move to a more remote workforce, which is starting to become a much more common thread amongst venture and startups because of the cost savings. You can live in the Midwest and still work at a fast-paced startup that's based in the Bay Area or based in the, in the New York area or based in San Diego. And having that work from home remote, you can do it through Zoom. You have your check-ins through Slack with your team. There's a lot of distributed teams. So I think that it's just going to only further lean into the culture that working from home will become only more common the way that co-working became common over the last decade. Working from home and distributed teams will be the kind of third wave of work. And it's just the right thing to do to think through the recruiting processes. Like recruiting is crazy competitive. You have an economy that's been booming bull market for 12 years now, it feels like. You have incredible talent that's getting recruited to a thousand different companies, both public and private, that are venture backed. And sometimes in order to pull in the best talent, you need to offer these kind of more traditional benefits that either maybe had never existed before or have only existed at the best of companies like the Googles and Apples of the world that have really great maternity, paternity leave policies. That's, I think, the example that a lot of founders that we're going through it ourselves now want to set with their own company. Yeah, it's, a, it's really neat to see this this shift in what it is. And it's funny, one very public figure in, in venture that's that's doing this, uh, Alexis Ohanian, he's, uh, uh, was yep. co-founder of Reddit. And, and yeah. he, uh, you know, happens to be married to Serena Williams. <laughs> so, yep. so very sort of interesting public life for somebody who probably wouldn't have, have seen to be that public. So it's kind of neat that he's gotten this good sort of extra lens on what he's doing. And he's really- yeah very, very strongly pushing for paternity leave and, and not just that. And, and even just like parental rights, because it's, it's not a bonus really right. trying to focus that this should be a uh, part of the right of being a parent is that you should be able to have access to certain things and, and time with your family is that, and it's, it's interesting because you know, yeah. as, somebody, as a family that spans two different countries, like I've, I've, I've seen both sides of it and, in Canada obviously has a different style of approach with parental leave and 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 yep. it's funny that's when I had uh, I had children in the US and you know when I went for parental leave and I said hey I'm going to be going taking some time off I want to take uh, I want to take 12 weeks off and they're like hey you know, oh boy. That's a, and I was like, hey, tell you what, if I can, if I, if you want, I can pull the Canadian card because I could take 50. Right. And right. they're like, 12 sounds great. You know, can you win? <laughs> and it, truthfully, here's the thing too. Yeah. And we're not like folks like you and I and, and folks that are in the startup environments, we tend to, we don't actually shut down. We're not very good at that part. So even though we're away, it's just the feeling of the given freedom. So when you do work right. remotely or you do pick up a little thing here and there, or you make a couple calls, you, you're on email, it's done because you want to, not because you feel like you have to. And I think that's, that's really where it's, you know, there's, you know, we can, we'll talk about the, the hours, hours of the week that you get to spend on it. But I tell you, you picked a great spot to start on the idea of like parental leave. Um, so yeah. size of company too. Yeah. Like yeah. how, as you scale, and and you build uh you know how did you 
scale the people side of the world as you looked at scaling just the revenue and, and the business growth? Because they're really just two distinct problems. One is keeping the business rolling and we call it sort of human capital in a way because it's just, I need people to right. do specific tasks and things and work towards the goals. But at the same time, you have to then create a culture and culture is such a fuzzy, weird word, but like, how did you approach yeah. the culture side of it yeah. while maintaining, you know, the strong business outcomes that you need to get at the same time to keep hiring? These right. People? Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I forget who said it. There's a, the same line culture, eat strategy for breakfast. And yeah. Culture is one of these things that uh, you can't you can't just say we have a culture. It's we have a great culture. We have a family first culture. Like you have to really live and breathe and embody it. And you know, just the quick timeline of the company and the team as we've grown, because um, the the 50 plus hires is across three startups, but specifically to Trust and Will, we incorporated in 2017, uh, right at the end in October, three co-founders, one developer. We then uh, recruited one of our most important hires, our in-house trust and estates attorney, Patrick, who just celebrated his two-year, which was such a fun moment. And even that culture, right, celebrating those work anniversaries. We have a little tradition that I'll get into in a second here that I think are important. Uh, we then hired another engineer that brought us to five and then uh, ramped the five up to seven once we raised our seed round in the end of fall of 2018. Uh, we announced it in January 2019, but 2019 for us, we didn't make too many more hires. We brought on uh, two more folks to the team ahead of member success and uh, a QA engineer. So we kind of kept it at nine all the way until the tail end of 2019, which is when we uh, closed our series A. So that nine went to 11. And here we are at the start of 2020. Uh, we've now raised 8 million to date and we're going from 11 to 15 in the next month. So still a, a small footprint for a series A funded startup, but I like the fact that we've kept the team small because I think we've done a great job of hiring really well and hiring some very talented people across product, marketing, legal, customer success, and soon growing the product and engineering teams, growing the marketing teams, growing our customer success teams, as well as bringing in a couple sales folks for the first time for some of our B2B efforts. But just to hit on the team going from you know three co-founders and a developer to now a team of 11, soon to be 15, some of the things that we've kind of baked into our routine, our weekly routine that I think some companies might find totally normal and common and they'll hear this and say, oh yeah, Cody, they, we do the same stuff. Well, what makes your culture different? Because it's some of the stuff that we do that I don't think a lot of companies do, or a lot of startups do. And I'll just quickly run through it. The first is every Monday, you know, team standups are important. Our Monday weekly standups are typically like an hour long. It's a structured meeting. But the thing that I love that we do, we've done this every Monday for two years and three months now, is we start off with what we're grateful for. We all go around the table and share that gratitude. And it sounds kind of tongue in cheek, uh, cliche, but like, I think people really love that activity here because it's not just start Monday, get right into work mode, straight into the priorities or recapping last week, priorities for this week. It's like, Hey, what are you grateful for? Like, it could be anything. It could be, you had a great weekend and you just got to lay out and do nothing, or you had family in town or you went on a trip and you had a nice three day weekend with MLK weekend behind us this past weekend. So I love the fact that we can start every week off with that. And sometimes it's gratitude for each other. The little, the other little thing that I'd love to hit on, and this was very evident in a little activity we did this past week, but every Friday, right before this call, we hopped on. Every Friday, we take the team out to lunch. We're in this beautiful spot in downtown San Diego called Little Italy. There's all these amazing restaurants. The weather's generally great. So for us just to put pause of our full week of work, go out for an hour, hour and a half sometimes, just enjoy food, enjoy each other's company, and actually talk about our personal lives outside of work. It uh, really starts to to build a, a level of trust that is usually not seen in some startups. And that's what we have. We have each other's backs. We have that trust and just that little gratitude exercise or family meal Fridays. Every new hire that joins us, we get a photo of their family printed on this really nice wood that sits on their desk as a little reminder as to the why we do what we do. We do this for families. And then celebrating birthdays, spouse anniversaries, work anniversaries with little kind of trinkets that are specific to our company. I think it's been really complimentary to the culture we've wanted and the culture we'll continue to build. That's very cool. And, and again, it's, while it seems like small things, it's the, the package that it creates and the, and the, the sensations it, 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 it causes are, are very positive. And, and it means that when 
a negative situation occurs, you get a tough week, you get a tough week at home, whether a tough week at the office, you know, something happens that that tightness of, of, you know, sort of collegial feeling means that it's people are more likely to share the, the downs as well as the ups. And that's really what you want. We share the ups right. so that when people are down, they're not afraid to. And that's the, if you talk about culture and, and the culture code being sort of one of the, the Bibles of, of what we've learned about the challenges of creating great cultures in a company or in an organization is culture is definitely something that you want to build so that people feel protected and they feel safe. And that's really what most people view as, as the most prominent thing. And also, as you said, like the classic line, culture eats strategy for breakfast. The other one that I love, and I think it's Andreessen, uh, Mark Andreessen or, or, or Ben Horowitz, whatever, talked about this. Ben Horowitz. He says, culture is how they behave when you're not there. And that you can do this top-down approach and say like, well, I lead right. by example. But if your your next peer group does not, and especially as the co the company grows, you may find that you and your executive leadership team and the next management tier underneath it may behave a particular way. But if they don't continue to push that down through, then you begin to lose that. And that's where those things like the Monday meetings and and stuff. I truly enjoy that. Our you know my company does the same thing. We have our, our all company hands, you know, all hands company meetings. And, and it's very important. And they say like, no matter where you are, jump on. And it's, we welcome every new hire. And it's so cool to do that because you just, now you're like, Hey, there's a new person. And then you, you just see the excitement in them and, and you want to like, all right, everybody reaches out, someone gets hired, they, they all email. And, and it's not, not the empty, like, make sure to welcome them aboard. And then like crickets, yeah, and, like, yeah. you literally, this no, person is going to be uh, just inundated with emails from people they don't know, but then they know they're like, I feel welcome. Yeah. The onboarding, the onboarding experience to me uh, is, has been something I'm not, the, I'm actually not the most controlling founder. I actually like sharing uh, a lot of different experiences and giving up responsibility to other people. Although we do wear many hats in the early days, but the onboarding is the one part of our current team and, and current new hires that take a lot of pride in and giving them that full first day of walking them through all of the tools, all of our rituals, making sure that they're getting that intro to the team. I personally take them out to lunch that first day and, you know, I'll have full faith in my co-founders to do that while I'm out on paternity leave. But, you know, having a great onboarding experience sets the precedent for what they should expect for the future of their time here at the company. And one of those other things, which kind of was triggered with something you said, is we, we have every new hire set up meetings with every single member on the team. Something that you can obviously do when you're small, maybe adjust when we're like 25, 50 people. But at least for our current team size, it's important that they all do one-to-ones in the first two or three weeks so that they can kind of get a feel for what does the whole organization feel and sound like, not just coming from the co-founder and CEO. Yeah. It's very important to be able to have those, those peer to peer uh, trust relationships built early and, and understand the sharing. Cause that's when it comes in. I mean, we all get hired and we all hire for the same thing. Like you hire somebody, and they're like, this is your resume. And like, I built the internet. And I like, and so of course we all like write these things that are like supposed to be these profound things we did. And my favorite thing is when you go to a company and they look like your resume is sitting on the table and, and it's underneath a coffee cup, which you share with that person, you know, like in a coffee conversation for an hour. And then at the end, they're like, oh, and they look at your resume. Oh, well, anyways, it looks like you've got the skills we need. Like the, the personality match is really what's going to be the most profound connection. And then once you get that, okay, do we have the skills that match? And then coming to the company, you have the yeah. other side where everybody's like, this is amazing. And like, it's great. And we have all the stuff. We go for lunch and that's true. But then sometimes like, hey, guess what? You know, we're having a tough week this week. We got to pull a couple extra hours or we, I need a little help over here in a thing that isn't in your job title. Uh, you know, so people will feel that willingness to go outside of the lane a bit and, and do those things because they've built those peer connections. And that's why uh, I've, uh, I've really, really spent a lot more time lately on, on building peer to peer, you know, opportunities. One of the right ways we can nurture those relationships because I think it protects the rest of the organization by making sure that the people that are actually doing the things care about each other. And then the top down 
approach can it can happen but it all that matters is like let's keep the broader group pleased happy and talking to each other that creates this yeah. sort of it opens the transparency and stuff like that so well actually let me ask you that speaking of one of the many things that i i really enjoy is you know openness can't you know radical candor and radical transparency which they're called radical yeah. for reason because it's it's actually rare what's your your thought on on how you approach that stuff cody yeah, I think that uh, I it's tough sometimes as a as a founder and CEO to get truly critical feedback from your general team. And there's different ways that you can approach it. Sometimes it may not be through verbal communication. Sometimes it, it should be through Slack, and that's appropriate. Uh, but I want my biggest critics to be my first and foremost my co-founders. Uh, also, our obviously our team, but I, my co-founders don't hold back because. It, it's like if you're getting compliments from the greater community because they love the success of the business, they see the partnerships, they see the growth and the traction, fill in the blank, love that. It's fun. But the only way you grow is if you get critical feedback. And, uh, you know, radical candor from the co-founders is something that we discuss. Like, if I'm ever not the right person to be CEO, well, let's discuss that. Like, how can I improve? One of the more, I think, mature moves that I decided to move forward with once we just raised this new round of funding was to establish a formal relationship with a CEO coach. Uh, and I've always had phenomenal mentors throughout my life, uh, and even as an entrepreneur, but setting up a formal coaching relationship with uh, an institution that has for 30 years now worked with CEOs of both private startups all the way through public companies was something that I knew would be essential in order for my own success and development. Just having a framework for questions, for a sounding board, a hybrid therapy strategy sessions, but that someone isn't, right, the coach is not my co-founder. They're not an investor. It's a totally different relationship that I have to them to have a different layer of accountability. Yeah, well, that's, and you've, it's, you're, you're aged beyond your years, Cody, because <laughs> you've, you've recognized all these sort of key factors and maybe because it's obviously you've, you've lived, you've got a strong lived experience of things uh, which most people wouldn't necessarily get exposed to at, at your age. Um, and because you're in a leadership position, it's really good that you've recognized that you have to go outside to get sort of that independent coaching. Uh, fear. I, I think one of my, my big, I was talking to this about with the coach, like one of my biggest fears as a founder is letting, well, on the personal side, letting down my family, but I, I, I prioritize them first and foremost in all capacities, but letting down my co-founders or team, like would like, break my heart, like at a personal level, then letting down our investors, our, our customers, like it's very rare. We have very consistent five-star reviews of trust and but the occasional like one or two-star review comes in and like, I, it's like, I feel personally responsible that that happened, right? And like being proactive, reaching out to them immediately, doing absolutely everything in our power to resolve what it was. And sometimes it's like these, you know, it's like somebody reviewing a restaurant for one star because they didn't like the napkins, but everything else was exceptional. <laughs> true, like, right. It's so silly that like you'll get a review and they're like, I didn't like the paper that it was printed, the documents were printed on. And I'm like, what? Like the paper? I'm like, but what, what about everything else? They're like, oh yeah, everything else is great. Like your team's super communicative and uh, responsive. And I'm like, you didn't like the paper? I was like, I'll, you know, it's like we'll honor full refund for our products as well. But I, uh, I think that when you can have an, uh, not, not a, a violently emotional attachment, but a lightweight of emotional attachment to the work that you do and taking feedback uh, seriously, always with a grain of salt, uh, it, it strengthens you as, as an individual leader. And that's something that I, I want to continue to pursue no matter how much success I have in, in my life. And we've talked about positives. We've talked about goods, methods, and, and practices you, you've done and, and your team does do that. On the other side, I, we want to talk about difficulty, both personal and, and corporate. And so I, my favorite thing I, I love to, I think it's actually maybe a Tim Ferriss question or, or some, some famous proper pod, professional podcaster always asks this idea of like, what's, What's the worst thing that's happened to you that you're the most thankful for? It, yeah, it was, uh, this might, that's a great, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I, that's a good interview question. I, you might kind of connect the dots here on what I've shared for the previous five minutes, but my last company, uh, founder and CEO for almost four years, had a team of 25 here in San Diego we were doing a company called Industry. Think LinkedIn for hospitality. If you worked in a restaurant, bar, nightclub, hotel, which in the US is one in 10 working Americans do this for their life, 
they don't use LinkedIn. So we wanted to go build a professional network for them first and foremost to help them move up in their careers. And then on the flip side, our business model was selling into restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, both at a you know competitive price point with Craigslist for the mom and pop shops and then with annual contracts with bigger restaurant and hospitality groups. And we had raised quite a bit of money. Um, and despite the success of the business and maybe a couple other variables, which was just that I was a young CEO, I was 26 when we raised that venture round, is that uh, without getting too much into the details, unless we want to unpack it, you know, I was basically let go by the board in June of 2017. And in the time, when the moment it was happening, I was kind of confused because I was like, this can't happen to me. I was like, this is my company. Like, I, this was my idea. Like, I've been with this thing for four years. How on earth could this be happening right now? And I was like, maybe they made a mistake. Like, maybe, you know, I don't need to be here as CEO for the title. Like, maybe I should take a different role that plays my strengths and that we can either fill that with an existing co-founder or recruit somebody outside thinking that, okay, this might be resolvable. And very, very quickly realized that it is uh, – it was a final decision by the board, not fully understanding the kind of repercussions of not just giving up equity, but giving up those board seats and how putting venture capital into the company can influence who is riding and driving the ship as CEO. So my last day with that company was June 15th, 2017. And it was just a really tough time for me because I felt betrayed. I felt naive too, uh, that I didn't see this coming because I never had the feedback uh, that I now seek out the most from my co-founders, from our investor. And I wasn't working with a coach at the time, but I also kind of accepted that responsibility that, Hey, if you're the CEO of a company, whether it's venture backed or not bootstrapped, you are 100% responsible for that organization. And while the company was doing fine, they wanted a change in leadership and it resulted in my departure. Uh, as much as it sucked, you know, I, I, got a little bit of legal cleared up. They, you know, kind of allowed me to move on somewhat comfortably. And then I also wrote a LinkedIn post about it. It's live to go to my LinkedIn, Cody Barbo, you'll see it's like the fourth or fifth post. And it went viral. And I wasn't expecting this. I wrote, I obviously wanted to put the company in a good light because I had a vested equity position. I wanted to put myself in a good light that I wasn't trying to go after them for any reasons. So I was like, hey, out of respect to the company and my co-founders, please don't reach out and ask for the details. But at the very least, you know, I wish them well in their journey and pursuit. I want to see the company thrive and I want myself to do well in whatever my next pursuit is. And I said this like incredible outpour. The, the article went viral, had hundreds, if not thousands of people reach out with wonderful things to say, because everybody that knew me closest knew that I loved that company and I didn't do anything wrong as CEO. It just, they wanted to take it in a different direction to match the expectations of those investors. And when I started reaching out and talking to people over the phone or over coffee, you know, some incredible job opportunities popped up that I was kind of curious of because I'd always been in startups. I'd never worked at a big company and had a really nice cush salary with benefits. So I was also about to get married. <laughs> Stability so would have been, like, oh, it, was, it was something yeah. that wasn't on your list at that point. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, maybe a good job with great pay and benefits would be a nice change because entrepreneurs, we don't really make money until we sell the company or go public. So uh, that was of interest and it was funny how me just being entrepreneurial entrepreneurial minded uh, I got that itch almost immediately I'd taken like a month off which doesn't sound like a not a lot of time but I've always been a very optimistic person and it was in that time that I was like you know what I want to go at this again I want to take everything that I've learned across two startups now both the ups and the downs and can I do this again and it's funny that uh, timing-wise, very serendipitously, my co-founder, uh, Daniel Goldstein, good friend at the time, still good friend, he had sat down with me in August to talk about uh, cryptocurrency. We talked about digital assets, kind of geeked out on that. But we also talked about, well, what happens if you got hit by a bus or your plane went down and you have crypto? And what happens to your Facebook? What happens to your iCloud photos, your Gmail? And then we just kind of like, we're like, do you have a will? And he's like, no. I was like, he asked me because I was about to get married. Cody, do you have a will? I was like, no. And the thought of going to an attorney offline, spending thousands of dollars just seemed absurd to me. And the thought of going to a legacy online site, pulling something off the shelf that is very uh, cold in how you are engaging with the product and the people behind that company. I was like, who's doing the TurboTax for estate planning? Like, there's got to be someone doing this. 
And we started researching and we found two startups. There were, one was targeting an older demographic, which we are not. And then the other was a life insurance company offering estate planning as a benefit. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, someone's got to be doing estate planning just like TurboTax, venture-backed, intuitive, well-designed, great brand, great customer support, affordable price points that can be easy when you're young and get married, have kids buy a home, but can really grow with you and your wealth over time. And the fact that that did not exist, which is why we were so excited to pursue trust and will. So this is my long-winded answer to your question. The worst thing that ever happened to me that ended up being the best outcome was getting fired by my last startup because it allowed us to go from an idea to now a Series A funded company with over 65,000 members who have signed up with us with this incredible team here in San Diego, amazing partnerships in a very tight timeline and making very few mistakes uh, along the way. So incredibly proud of myself, but also grateful for the team that we've built and the investors that have supported us to be able to bounce back from what had happened to me. It's such a it's such a great story because it, even if people were to scale it to a small event in their life, it's what I tell people. It's it's not how it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you deal with it. Then you have right. choices when it comes up, and you probably went through the the stages of of grief, you know, very quickly. And you talked about that month away, and it's it's very interesting that. You know, I, I share a, a mindset uh, of the idea that the moment that I think hey, something terrible that just happened, you, you just, you live in that for a moment. You have to kind of relish that like, all right, something really, really harsh. There's a natural, you can't stop it from happening. Like, you're like, this sucks. Right. And then as you go through that, the first thing you think is, all right, what are like the most, what are the fastest sort of compensating things I can do to get back on top of things? Right. And, and it's, it's really, it's, it's challenging for a lot of people to know how to, to come back from those moments. And especially as the founder stories are very interesting because you, a founder is not just about you succeeding at a thing. You are succeeding at a thing that you know, from the onset, it's going to require more people than you have in front of you today in order to succeed at scale. And you immediately when you start to build this, a great founder takes on an incredible responsibility because you have to immediately think, how can I offload and trust people, you know, with tasks and, and goals and, and holding my vision as I look to scale this organization. So when you're going to get money, people are like, wow, that's great. You got money. Well, now, now what? Like now, what are you going to do with that money? You're going to hire a team expand out, outsource where you can, do all these things. But as a founder, especially when you bring on employees, it's an incredible responsibility that you are now responsible for their next experience, for their potentially viral LinkedIn post when they get fired. Like, it's pretty wild to think of, people don't think of that. Like a lot of times I talk to people, they're like, oh, well, you know, oh, they think you're living the dream, right? You've got equity in a company, that must be amazing. And you look, you're like, you know what equity is worth, right? Can you go to the grocery store and say, hey, I've got equity in a company. Can I pay with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth, it's worth nothing until something happens, until someone says it is. Couldn't agree and then, more. And then people see the thing, they look, they look and they'll say like, wow, you've got 8 million raised. You're like, you know, I've got like 78 bucks in the bank, right? Like this is not, there's not $8 million <laughs> yeah. sitting in my bank account. This is a company. Yeah. And this is not this a, collectively. <laughs> when we when we announced the fundraise, uh, I got a group text of some close friends. We're all diehard Lakers fans, and first buddy text when they saw the announcement, like, "Hey, Cody's gonna get us a suite at the next home Lakers game." Even though you know we're down in San Diego, but I was like, guys, I was like, I don't even think I can afford a Lakers ticket courtside, let alone get a suite for all of you. So <laughs> I was like, one day maybe. But uh, yeah, it's it's funny how that works out. No, the team. The fundraising to me is not the milestone. It's, it's something to, to celebrate with the team for the potential of what you can achieve. But the, the real milestone and what's worth celebrating is what is the result of that, that investment is, you know, five to 10 X in our revenues over the next two years, five to 10 X in our growth over the next two years, getting some massive partnerships, BD efforts lined up and live with some of the biggest banks and insurance companies. And then celebrating with the team, celebrating with the investors and celebrating with those customers who helped us achieve those, those milestones. So 
Yeah, it's always it's always trying to reshift what uh, the perceived celebration is, which is always the fundraising. It's it's fun to get excited about it. It really is, but it's the outcome of what that money does for the company. And especially when you're when you do these things, and a lot of folks they read like the you know the press releases of launch stuff for you know companies or yeah. products or anything, and and the 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 funny thing is that. There's whole analyst relations practices and teams that that's their whole thing is like preparing for that moment. But it's, it is like, that's like saying that you only care about the, the second you cross the marathon finish line and make sure your arms are up uh, for the photo. Right. And you're like, right, right, right. you know, we got to train for the, for the 42 K that leads up to that second. Right. <laughs> and that's yeah. the, that's the groundwork that's incredibly challenging to know you're going to take it on uh, in order to reach that thing. Like you said, and I love your approach of, hey, I'm going to celebrate. And this is what I need to do to get to that point of celebration. And, you know, let's write the press release now and then put it on the wall and say that, you know, 2021, you know, proud to announce that we've hit 30 million in revenue. You know, and like you, you kind of have to set right. those things and, and then build the, the goals towards it, uh, which is good. Here's question for you Cody you know yep you you immediately jumped back in and you said hey I've got a I've got a problem that I've realized I have myself uh how how do you evangelize that to you know people when you're kind of spreading this idea when you're especially when you're looking for new employees do you find that it's it's easy uh especially like you said you're you're talking you're aiming at a, a market that's not elderly who, how do you tell somebody who's yeah. 28 that they need a will and make it matter? To them? <laughs> uh, great question. Well, just for context, our product is for every adult. Uh, if you're our youngest customer, we call them members, but user customer, you can use right, the term yeah. but we, our youngest is 18. I don't know why an 18 year old set up an estate plan, but, they probably have a good reason. That kid's got uh, vision. <laughs> vision. And then two is, uh, I think our oldest is 92 years old. We have a 92-year-old in Texas. But um, the, that's just to show the range. And just for context, half the population in the United States, and I think the, Aaron and Kevin at Willful can confirm the stats, but I don't think the, the stats are different in Canada. It's like half the population has these documents, the other half does not. And when you talk to anyone that did set up an estate plan, whether it's a will or a trust, well, what, why was that? You know, it's almost across the board. It's like kids, or it was after kid number two, or after kid number three, they're about to get on a plane without them for the first time and had this total freak out, and that was the forcing function. The second reason for most people to start to think about this is they'll, they'll purchase a home. Uh, for most families, the large stats that they'll ever own is the home that they live in, and they want to protect that asset either in the United States from probate court or they want to pass along to their family in a, in a legal framework. And that's for most younger, like the 30 to 55 crowd, they have minor children or they just bought a home. Once you get over 55 plus, it's a little bit different. You're setting it up because you're going in for surgery. You maybe had a divorce or maybe had the death of a spouse, or you were in a caregiver role taking care of an aging parent or grandparent. So there's, there's dozens of events, triggering events that would justify the need to create or update these. But to your question, we, we lean into the kind of millennial parents because 90% of kids born now are to millennial parents. So we can kind of hook them with the emotion, educate them on the importance of these documents. We don't force them into our most expensive tier. In fact, we created a product called Guardian that actually takes the language out of the will, specifically around nomination of guardians. So if you're a young millennial parent, you don't own a home, you don't have any assets, you don't want to think about if you want to be buried or cremated, you just want to have people appointed to take over your kids if something happened to you we have a very easy and affordable solution to do that so it's once we get them in the funnel we hold their hand we get them through the product they realize that it's easy it's not that hard then yeah they can upgrade to the will or upgrade to our trust package which are more premium offerings but it's just a way to build trust and to facilitate communication into something that most people just don't know anything about or are uncomfortable thinking and talking about because they are death documents right yeah, sadly, this yeah. is this is the thing, and there it's preparation for stuff that's inevitable, and we we, yeah. we never like to visit the the inevitability of many things. Uh, so right. this is this is why. And I, again, I I really 
I wanted to dig into that because it, it is always interesting to me how how you can approach that and and it, when people yeah. hear it, that's the tough part. They hear it, they're like, ah, that makes total sense. Like, so rush out and get it done. And this is why that's where people trip over it. They're like, well, now what do I do? Now they got to go searching through, finding something you can do it. Uh, and so I like that you've, like, let's just shorten the cycle to that. Um, and it's good. Now, here's the next question. Yeah. You've got a coach. You've, you've, you've got a lot of lessons that you're bringing in. Uh, what's your thought on the outbound uh, to that? Uh, how much time do you spend sort of doing independent coaching with your own team or, or other folks that are maybe in your peer group? Oh, yeah. yeah, great question. Um, so individual team members, uh, you know, founders, we have uh, weekly founder meetings Thursday mornings. I think we're actually going to increase the cadence of that to, to twice a week just because there's just a lot of moving parts as our organization grows and we move a lot faster this year with the new capital. But in terms of individual check-ins, uh, typically once per month with every member of the team. Remember, we're 11 right now. So as we grow, that'll probably move to a uh, bi-monthly kind of cadence. So every two months we'll check in. But it's mostly, I find it a very unique time as a leader. And it could be myself doing this or equally my co-founders in their, in their capacity. But, you know, it's, it's a chance to check in with people personally too, not just professionally. Like I don't why people sometimes bring up or they, they think it's uncomfortable to bring up like hey like how are things at home like how are how are you and your wife doing are you guys getting time to go on date nights like do you need a, do you need an extra day off or two on a weekend to go and get a trip out like i want people i want our team to be happy at home and to know that they can prioritize their family and personal situation to not feel stressed or guilty when they come in here because it's like that level of trust and it's those are confidential conversations that we have and they're generally positive, but stuff comes up, life happens. You know, it, it hopefully has this kind of deeper meaning that like, hey, we actually care about you, like not just because you're an engineer or in sales and marketing. And I think it's important. Uh, I, it's something that I seek out more myself, like I was hitting on earlier, that constructive feedback. And yeah, there's times where I give constructive feedback and it's not to make the person uncomfortable. It's really to set expectations. Like, hey, we still have a job to do here. We have investors, we have goals and milestones to hit. And if you're falling in the cracks, well, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. And how can we invest in you, whether that's through proper mentorship with someone specifically to your skill set, or if that's just making sure that you're investing enough time in yourself, whether it's here at the end of the day or even on the weekends to further your education to, to fit your role. And then kind of cadence of, of mentorship to entrepreneurs. I, I've had such great mentors and entrepreneurs in my life that have given me great tactics and feedback and insights that... I want to reciprocate that. I don't have the capital to write 10 to 50K angel investments yet. That'll be hopefully one day in the future. But one of the things that I love about coaching and mentoring younger founders, or not younger in age, but uh, first-time founders, maybe second-time founders that haven't right. raised venture or haven't recruited a large team, thought through these kind of very tactical things operationally of building the foundation for their company, is just walking them through my own experiences in the hopes that it saves them some time, helps them work a little bit smarter, helps them raise that next round or close that angel investor, which will float them for a couple months. And uh, I find it useful because if I find entrepreneurs following my playbook, it means that that playbook works to some extent. It's a lot of foundational stuff. I don't really care sometimes what type of business there is, what industry they're in, because the playbook works generally the same. And the hope is that I can back that, back that up with a check in the future uh, with some angel investments and continue to coach uh, with a more formal relationship with some companies. Well, and that's, that's an interesting one. And, and for people that f they should listen to all of the things you just laid out is that by you doing that thing and then investing in the outcome, very literally, it's a very different investment you've made personally. And I don't mean like money, I mean, literally you have skin in the game. And that's why when yeah. we talk about people that do advisory work, uh, I've, I do advisory work for, for startups and generally it's it's almost all sort of equity bound and because right. and i tell them right up front i'm like this is you know i trust what i'm telling you because i get literally nothing out of this unless right. you right. succeed at what we do together and yeah. it it helps to build that faith and so you again like I said writing that check is not just here's some advice because advice i could head to barnes and noble lots of books lots of advice <laughs> Uh, right. but if you want to go to that next phase and, and so that's, 
that's very good that you, you've seen that. Uh, and so the company is a family. Uh, this is a tough topic for a lot of folks because a lot of people have been bitten by that idea that, hey, we're a family, which means that we expect people to be able to take a call at 11 p.m. and, and be online on the weekends and like, oh, no, no, hang on a second. That, that's not what family means. When I say that I work at a company and my team, I treat them like family, it means that if they call at 11 p.m. because they need me to help to cover them do something for work or for home, yeah. I'm there for them. That's, that's family. Hell, I got family members. I probably wouldn't do that for. <laughs> but so the but the expectation that it means you're online all the time and that you've got this crazy work week. How do you? What's your work week look like for you? And and maybe some of your your other team. I'd love to hear what your time yeah, looks like yeah. in, a, in a day. Generally, a uh, few of us are in office as early as eight a.m., which I think is appropriate, and stay as late as six thirty-seven sometimes. But I I wouldn't want our team coming in much earlier than that or staying later than that. I think the only like, the only exceptions is if like the team, the engineering team is in like full product sprint and we have a date that we want to hit and like get the culture activities. So we have, you know, food and snacks and it's, you know, and a bunch of energy drinks to kind of pump them through. But like, we've only done that a few times. And then same would go with like, uh, you know, like if I'm out fundraising, which if I'm fundraising, it is taking 100% of my time because I have an obligation to first and foremost, my team that like, we're not still yet a profitable company. That's something that we're likely to do in this year or in early 21. But for us, it is our lifeblood. It allows us to live and to pay ourselves well and to provide benefits to our families. So like that burden weighs down on you as a founder when you're fundraising that people are counting on you. And I'm, I'm counting on myself. I am married with the kid on the way. So what I like about the fundraising uh, is like setting expectations with my wife, with the team. And I was on the road for three weeks, you know, those were 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. days. And that's okay. Um, I've, I've been in the hustle mode before, but I know that it's worth it. And sometimes you just fluctuate based on time of year, product announcements, new partnerships, fundraising. So it can ebb and flow. And, and there's times when it's appropriate and there's times when it's inappropriate. Like the holidays, we want people to be with their family. So we, I wouldn't say shut down for two weeks. I mean, we're still selling and still working in a light capacity, but working remotely from home. And that's something that is absolutely uh, part of our culture. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the, the pressure is not immediate, you know, and even when we'd say like we, there's obviously there's going to be a natural tendency to hire folks that are in your kind of fit and they're yeah. going to be alike to you, especially in those early hires. And I think that's what's hard for folks when they listen to these conversations and like, oh yeah, easy day, eight till seven. You're like, well, no, yeah. no, no, no. You understand the type right. of folks that are going to get involved in this. Like, we're not asking everybody to be like Gary Vaynerchuk. This is not like the big struggle porn. Like, if you're not grinding, no, you're not struggling. Like, I, I love, I, I love I, the I methodology. Yeah, yeah. I give a ton of credit for his success. I, I think that there is a certain falsehood of the Kool-Aid that he's putting out for young, specifically young men, is my opinion on this, where they're, they're living, breathing entrepreneurs, but they really haven't had any success yet. And the idea of calling yourself an entrepreneur without really rolling up your sleeves and getting a product to market, getting sales through the door, uh, creates a false sense of identity. And I, I am very iffy on his methodology and the kind of mantra he puts into young people's heads. Yeah. And it's, and I, I always, I, I love picking out that example because it is just that, right? Hey, look, if you get inspiration from it, so be it. Right. It's, it can be a religion for a lot of people. Uh, and, and yeah, your words, not mine, but that's kind of the culty vibe I get from his. Exactly. No offense. And successful. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Like, I, I don't like good luck, you know, c congratulations, my friends. If you, if that's your, if that's your bag and that's where you get your grace from, so be it. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to question your, uh, Hey, I may not work for you or with you because right. that's, your, that's your thing. And I, I, I just don't want to be fired up like that all the time. I, I appreciate that he can make it work and there's a subset, yeah. of but I'm definitely yeah, more the, you know, I like the idea that, you know, you get out what you put in. I truly believe in that. Yeah. Like work-life balance, it's not, it's not work-life balance. It's 
getting right. out what you put in and which means that in order to hey if you want to get crazy levels of input output you're going to yeah. have to do more than normal and it's going to yeah, be agree. tough and like you said you'll go through sprints like that that'll happen so yeah be it. yeah but protect Eric, your uh, team from it yeah, real quick, I, I just want to be uh, respectful. I do have to jump at the hour and just wanted to make sure that we had a chance for um, some final questions or what, what the best process is for you um, on the closing side of this, because this has been fantastic. Thank you. And this has been a blast. I, I, for, for folks that, are, that are, have listened to this, there's incredible lessons. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I'll, I'll actually share some of the links to, to your actually appearances on like hearing the way that you do your elevator pitch, Cody. There's so much. Uh, we'll, I'll have you back on. I'm going to talk to the folks at Wolf uh, as well. Um, this has been a blast. Uh, if people want to reach out and they want to hear more about you and, and about the Trust and Will story, where do I send people? Yeah, uh, for me personally, uh, the two best places to connect with me are LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is just my favorite place in the world. It's a classroom. I learn from it every single day. And with LinkedIn, I always encourage people, send a custom message. It just it provides context. If someone listened to this on the podcast, I am happy to accept and be a sounding board of advice um, and, and support. And then for anything Trust and Will related, go to trustandwill.com. And uh, once I get a, an understanding of when the air date goes out, enter the code Disco Posse at checkout for a nice 10% discount if you're a U.S. Nice. resident. My, my yeah. first official code. I love it. Hey, Cody, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. It's been a learning experience. Uh, and I'm going to hit you because I got two minutes left. The, I love closing yeah. this one. What's a book that you read as a youth that you reread recently and why did you do it? Uh what a great question. Uh, man, I, how to win friends and influence people. There you go. I was like, how to win friends and influence people. It's so funny. You, you mentioned that I literally was bringing books. We have like a little library here at the office now. And I was trying to decide which books I keep at home and which books I bring to the office. And I pulled it out. I don't know why it's such a great question. I pulled it out. And instead of me continuing on with packing these books into a box, I like sat in my office at home for like 25 minutes and just like breezed through it. And there's like little nuggets in there. That I was like, oh man, this stuff is gold. I just love the fact that his book has stood the test of time. It's still one of the best sellers in business. And uh, those, those principles don't go away. Uh, so that's, that's my answer there. Love it. Love it. That's, uh, that's perfect. And, and that's it. Hey, true statements, you know, look at the print, the original print date is in like the twenties. So this is, uh, it's phenomenal that, that the, the Carnegie's methods have really hung on and, and, uh, very well respected and look in the way of the way that, that culture has shifted over time to have those things and those methods survive. It's actually pretty profound. So, Hey, Cody, uh, best of luck going forward. Uh, looking forward to keeping in touch and, and chatting in soon. Hey, thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure to be on the show.